0: Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. Welcome to an extra special podcast. This is a collaboration between the Venture 12 podcast and the Included podcast with me, Bethany Gibson, and my good friend, Chris Halliday.
1: Hey, Beth.
0: Hey, we're only an hour away from each other. Um, Those of you who know our voices, um, normally we're doing these Zoom conversations from the other side of the world for each other, Um, but I'm in the UK. And Chris, where are you in the world?
1: I am now in Amsterdam, uh, which is uh, quite amazing and feeling really privileged to be able to serve here. Um, I'm a Salvation Army officer and from Australia and now based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands for a time and absolutely loving it, although uh bethany you may already have known this but it turns out it's quite cold in the netherlands
0: yes okay. yeah northern hemisphere um this time of year it's getting towards winter Um, you have to wrap up warm um, indeed so so yeah welcome to the northern Hem- hemisphere
1: <laughs> it's great to be back and what better way to spend some time on a cold and dark afternoon or evening than chatting to you because we beth are co collaborators, co-presenters, co-conspirators perhaps are not one but two podcasts
0: yes we are broadcasting this episode to two podcasts Um this extra special episode um collaboration between included the podcast and venture 12 the podcast and um oh, back in the early days of the pandemic we met each other for the first time on screen with the venture 12 network with some good friends in sweden and across the um kind of uh, the savage army also church world people coming together to talk about missional stuff and pioneering and venturing into new spaces for God. Uh, So that's how we first met, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely. And then uh, you and Alex got involved in what we're doing with the Included team, which was around trying to uh, equip and support people who were looking for ways to engage in the conversation around what it meant to be uh, a safe church, a safe place as the Salvation Army for people who were gender or sexuality diverse. And when this opportunity came up to talk to our guest today, Will Small, who is an Australian uh, Christian, a leader, a spoken word artist, it, it, I think we were scratching our heads a bit, thinking, hang on, which, which where does this fit, right? Because it could so perfectly fit in, in both uh, streams of the podcasting world, the missional, Christian, inclusive world. Uh, so here we are. We've landed on actually let's just split it.
0: Yeah, let's share it and get it to as many people as possible. Because Will's got so much to say, and we we all I think we've all got something to take away. I think
1: absolutely. If you could summarise uh, some of the key things you take away from this conversation, which actually we recorded quite a while ago earlier in the year, what would you say? Some of those things that you feel that sort of split us across different streams of of our conversations and different missional inclusive vibes.
0: Um creating safe spaces where people can be honest and their authentic selves yeah. um in every sense spiritually socially um and yeah and that's that's got massive kingdom impact um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Now we'll uh, get moving because it's a long conversation. It's a great conversation, but if you're looking to get involved in something that the Included team's doing, whether it's one of our podcasts or webinars or helping us write or research, we'd love to hear from you. You can check out our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com Included page, or of
0: course, Venture 12. Yeah, check out Venture 12 on Facebook to Instagram. Um, Always something new happening on the podcast, and you never know, there might be a book club you can join as well.
1: Indeed, and if there is something in this conversation that raises uh, areas for you that you do want to talk about or you want someone maybe to reach out to, feel free to contact us too. There's always someone uh, around the world we can contact you with who's a safe place to chat stuff through. But right now, the first episode of Season 3. Are you ready, Beth? I'm ready. We're going to kick it off with an incredible spoken word piece that Will Small wrote uh, a couple of years ago now. You may have heard it before, but even if you had, can I suggest sit down, sit back, and listen because there is something that grabs you out of this piece every single time you hear it. It's called If You're Still Here, and it's Will Small.
2: I used to know all the right arguments, I was articulate and systematic, both in my theology and discrimination. I was comfortable compartmentalising lifestyles from lives, loving sinners, hating sin, well-versed in language contortions that painted pictures of sexual distortion, transposing the ancient cultural baggage that was convenient for my patriarchal privilege while leaving behind the parts that past prophets helped us move on from. You see, if you can still value the Bible without demanding that women should wear head coverings or slaves should obey their masters, then you already have the tools for liberation. You just use them selectively. I used them selectively. But let's stop pretending one side gets to monopolize interpretation. Let's stop allowing one side to decide what is meant by the word biblical. Especially when those who are the most anxious about a lack of biblical literacy are often the same ones advocating for biblical marriage while conveniently ignoring all that polygamy. Yeah, let's be biblical, like a movement that has only ever been increasingly expansive. Let's be biblical, like allowing Gentiles to come in without cuts to their foreskin. Let's be biblical like God has set a table for everyone. If you're still here and you're listening, I am sorry. If you're still here and you're queer, your belonging is not a concession. It is not a generous position for some of us to arrive at. It is a justice that has been withheld. And I am sorry. That you ever had to choose between belonging undercover or coming out then heading out, I am sorry. That you ever questioned whether your life was worth living based on someone else's position on sexual positions, I am sorry. Sometimes I think it is a miracle that the church, body of Christ on earth, is still filled with women, people of colour, the chronically ill, all those we have labelled as other, who still faithfully show up, who still somehow see the sacred through the sacrilege, these patient saints, these, these patron saints, these patient activists. And yet, how could it be any other way? You are not an aberration, not just a position for accommodation, you are part of the face of Christ. You are part of a body that is incomplete without you. And the Jesus I give my allegiance to never condemned or excluded you. He consistently modeled behavior, which leads me to the conclusion your full inclusion is all part of the Spirit's movement, and I will either get on board or be left in the wake of justice rolling on like a river. If you're still here, and you're listening, I am sorry. If you're here, and you're queer, you belong.
1: Well, I've heard that piece and seen it, uh, a, a number of times now and every single time uh it impacts me every single time it affects me uh, each time something else uh, jumps out and uh, i find myself uh, emotional uh, having having watched and listened what led to the creation
2: of this incredibly moving uh, piece of poetry oh thanks chris i'm i'm so glad that it it connects with people. And, um, it's one of those poems that, you know, I've written a lot of poetry and, um, sometimes it's a lot of work and sometimes it just feels like it just, it just comes like, it's just like, there's something to be written and you get to, you get to be the one holding the pen. And, um, I feel like this was one of those, those times. And in some ways, the, the thoughts in that poem, the, the kind of I guess the theological journey, the heart journey is the product of many years, and yet I think at the time when I wrote it, it was sort of like I'd reached this point where I was settled within myself around that, and then at the same time, I was seeing a really annoying conversation happening within my denominational context, and I think the fact that I was becoming increasingly like confident in what what i felt had been revealed to me what i felt the spirit had led me to i was also seeing this incredibly you know just like backwards regressive conversation and i think the combination of those two things at the same time just led to that poem just kind of just it just really came and it felt like um the whole thing, like, I mean, the, the filming is quite simple, but I, I, you know, very shortly after writing it, I asked a friend of mine, like, we're filming for another project. And I was like, can we just quickly, can we just do this afterwards? And, um, you know, it was sort of a, in some ways it came quick, the writing and the filming it and putting it together. But yeah, it's sort of that interesting thing of it's like the slow build, and then the moment where it's like, there's something here that has to be said and I can't I can't hold it in any longer. I,
1: I've had similar um, feedback to, to how I felt as I've sat with others and we've watched this. I've played it in, in my churches. I've played it at events. We've used it on online conferences. In fact, I think we used it um, for, for an online conference at the time you wrote it. Um, it uh, but I'm, I'm aware and we're all aware that sometimes we live in a bit of a bubble. Uh, and so while I've heard, Overwhelmingly positive
2: feedback. Did you get any pushback? Not really. And in some ways, um, I I do find uh, I, I do a, I say a lot of stuff that that some people I know dislike, <laughs> and um, I'm generally surprised that uh, I, don't, I maybe this is obviously not true for everyone because the haters are out there, but in my experience, um, they they have been more silent. And then it's more like they'll go and talk to somebody else higher up, and they'll they, you know they take the sneaky the sneaky road rather than just coming out and being direct, maybe wading into the comments section. And you know, look, respect. If you're avoiding the comments section, you're not trying to throw grenades in there. Probably a good call. But I've been surprised that I haven't had more um, it, it kind of direct you know negative feedback. When I know I know that's out there, but um, uh, what's been lovely, Chris, is that I've had a lot more people reach out who have said I grew up in church and I left the church years ago because of my gender or sexuality. And that really moved me and and was a healing experience to listen to. And I've heard that story lots of times. And that's, I mean, that's so much more like I didn't write it for the haters. You know, I wrote it for the people, like, if you're still here, that's the whole point. Um, What that does say to me, though, uh, and
1: I I please take this as an affirmation, it's not only so well written as a piece of poetry, but each of the points, each of the lines hits a mark which I feel, at least, is unarguable. And it it gives me the sense, hearing that there hasn't been pushback, I, I, I can't help but think... What is there to push back on? What is there to argue? And so I think you've just maybe affirmed that actually it's really grounded, as you say, it's come from the spirit, it, it's come from elsewhere, and uh, and you've been the the vessel, the pen. So anyway, thank you. Mm. Thanks,
0: Chris. It's lovely to be in this conversation. Will, hey, um, hey from London. Um, I'd, I'd I heard that spoken word at an included conference for the first time, and I was stopped in my tracks. And I was just sort of amen after every every sentence, every statement, so again, thank you um but it would be great just to get to know you a bit better before we start to go into some of the kind of the meat of the topic and perhaps the theology and the kind of the stuff that you unpacked in in that spoken word and perhaps um you've experienced in 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 recent months and years, um, let's get to know you a bit better. So um, tell us about yourself. You know, where do you live in the world? Tell us about your family. Let's start there.
2: All right. So I live on the central coast of New South Wales, uh, which is a little spot between Sydney and Newcastle for those who live, you know, within this sort of general area. Um, And it's a beautiful place. I live here with my wife, Sam, and our three kids, Noah, Leo, and Emery, who are seven, five, and nine months old. And I spend my time doing a very strange and eclectic mix of things. Um, I sort of write poetry. I run a little business called Lead by Story where we create digital media for kind of uh, social impact purposes and then I lead a little faith community called Meeting Ground, which is a church for the misfits. And out of that, we create a podcast called Spiritual Misfits, which is really for anyone out there who feels like they have found themselves somewhere on the edges and fringes of, of faith and spirituality.
0: Amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, there seems to be themes in, in kind of uh, what you've just said there, sort of are uh, you're a communicator. Um, a community maker, um sort of if you could kind of say like what gets you out of bed in the morning? what are your passions and how do you make sense of your calling?
2: Oh, sure, well, in a um quite literal sense, um my nine month old Emery gets me out of bed in the morning very early um, at five a m which you could say uh it's also you know, I do want to get up first thing in the morning with a sense of being present for those I love, um as difficult as that is sometimes, but I would say that I guess in terms of the calling, vocation, you know, um, yeah, I think I've struggled in some ways over the years with this sense that I am someone who does a lot of different things. I've made life very complicated for myself. I often feel like I have five jobs and any given week I can be working on several very different projects in very different spaces, some of them Christian spaces, some of them more um schools you know this week i've been running uh healthcare health, like uh, mental well-being workshops with healthcare workers um which is yeah i don't know how i ended up there as a as a poet um but the the kind of thread that ties it all together i think is being grounded in story and and i always tell people you know for me being a poet means that i'm trying to live a life that explores my inner world and explores our outer world and tries to make sense of what lays in between those spaces and to find the stories that um, that ground us and the words that ground us in um, a more kind, inclusive, you know, hopeful world. Um, so, yeah, I think playing with words, um, helping people to find the stories that they want to live into and live out of um, and doing that in, uh, you know, as many different creative ways as I can.
0: I mean, something that, that struck me as I was listening to your spoken word again, is it was very prophetic. Um, and we were, as we were touching on perhaps the pushback that there wasn't stuff to argue with, but you know, do you, as a poet, do you get the sense of being prophetic or having that connection to the heart of God and being able to communicate that? Is that something that you've 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 explored
2: uh I hope so I mean I think that what probably has shifted like in earlier years I would have said yeah definitely I'm a I'm a prophet poet I'm heaped tapped into what God is saying I I know exactly what everyone needs to hear and over the years I've found myself with more questions than confident answers um but I, I feel that maybe that's part of um that's part of the work too, that maybe the spirit in our time would want to lead us into questioning, revisiting, becoming humble. Um, and I think I, I certainly want to try and speak to the heart of things. And I feel like often our, our big conversations are about uh, what, what is on the surface, you know, um, whether it's debates about who can marry who and what genitals they have, you know, it just, it's surface. It's not about the heart and so i suppose to me like any any aspect of what i do that's attempting to tap into the prophetic is just trying to go what what's at the heart of reality and if if we think that that's a god who looks like jesus or you know anything like that then hopefully the words i speak are trying to get closer to that and and bring that out but certainly not trying to be the kind of prophet who stands on the street corner and Tells you exactly what to do, so you don't, I don't, don't end up burning somewhere or anything like that. <laughs> well, when we met, you talked a little bit about. Um you're having a whole lot of different things and different
1: jobs, and 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 where you've landed now, which is in in this role as 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 pastor, support friend of those who might be considered misfits or on the margins. But you and I met uh, back twenty seven to twenty twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen, so about five years ago, and it was part of a two year Christian leadership development course now those words should strike fear into the heart of any uh, <laughs> any person um it was two years that i've since referred to as as a horror show um but it, everybody had a different experience there um i remember chatting with you at the time and you were at that point in in a, a, a you were definitely at a crossroads uh, Practically speaking, I think you were, if I remember correctly, you were in, a, in a, a job, like a normal everyday paid job, and you were looking at, you know, do I step out and do something on my own? Do I, do I look at my own business and big risk and move into poetry? But also, and maybe more significantly, we were, uh, you and I were in a very much the minority in that group, which was heavily dominated by uh, conservative evangelical Christians um in in some cases you know really alpha male types uh and the theology going around that place uh was i I would consider this in my words um toxic uh the behaviors were absolutely toxic uh and uh it, it it was i i felt for for me anyway there was a real sense at that and in, in over those two years particularly towards the end where I thought you know I, I just I don't fit with these people I don't fit if this is what Christianity is uh, it, it's it's not for me uh and so struggled a little bit with that so I, I get the sense that that period for you uh both both practically but perhaps spiritually as we listen to you now was a time of of crossroads would that be a fair assessment
2: yeah absolutely um and I just uh apologize again Chris for the um the mistreatment that you received in that space doesn't matter how many times I hear it it's not okay and um I I am sad for that but as we have observed part of the good that happened there in amongst some of that was that we met which I'm grateful for so a bit of gratitude and grief kind of laced up together there but um it was a transitional time for me as it was for you and it's it it was like everything in in my life because at that point in time I had actually had two kind of roles I was working at a um sort of more mainstream church and I don't want to speak ill of that church I have um a lot of appreciation and gratitude and look back on that season very well but I was starting to think you know am I being led in terms of a ministry sort of sense to something more on the edges and more on the fringes and more with people that are no longer comfortable in church But I was also working for an organization um, that I was sort of unsure, yeah, whether it was the time to leave that as well. So, uh, you know, just change everything at once. So during that time, I sort of began to make moves towards the kind of church plant that we have kind of established as well as um, going out on my own and, and trying to do all of that in a way that's kind of like you know, I like the word co-vocational rather than just bivocational, rather than just working one job to support the other, trying to find a sense of calling that that works across multiple roles but with a shared heart and kind of trying to build a little ecosystem in my life that it all works together. Um, but I think as well, yeah, spiritually, theologically, I was in definitely my own process of what people frequently refer to as deconstruction or you know, evolving faith that people have different preferences around the language. But I was, I was um, asking big questions about everything I believed and um, in some ways seeing people that were, like you said, Chris, very deep in uh, a kind of, yep, doubling down the hatches yep. in some way on a certain worldview. That, that kind of makes it, yeah, you, you feel more that like as a mirror back on your own process. Can I yeah.
1: ask, uh, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people out there asking this question. You were pretty young at that point. Uh, I don't want to give away your age, but uh, you, you either use fantastic moisturiser or you're still very youth, youthful, Will. But actually, at, <laughs> at, at the time of that course, I remember because you, you, you at that point, you, you had young family, you, you were just married, you had a young child. Um what you're talking about, not just what you are wrestling with theologically, but those were huge moves and a a lot of people might feel really uncomfortable or unsure about taking such big steps outside of what is known and and security for them and their um, brand new family. What was it that led you to be able to jump off the cliff, so to speak? (laughs)
2: Uh, That's a good question. Um, I've been making risky moves for, for quite a while, um, before we, um, had our first son, Noah, actually, um, he's, he's now seven years old, but when we just found out we were pregnant, um, I was working, uh, in a full-time role that, um, like we had no savings or anything. And we, we just moved to the central coast where we live. Um, we'd been here for about a year. My wife was working casually. I had that that sort of role. Um, but I just sensed that, it, like, it wasn't quite right. And so I resigned without having, like, a really clear next thing to go to, which is always the big advice people have. Like, don't ever leave something until you've got the next thing lined up. But, um, like, the week after I started to do some stuff, um, like poetry stuff that I'd kind of been building some networks around, Now, this is quite a while ago, um, but I think that was probably an earlier stage. I would have been like 23, 24 um, at that time. And I've done a similar thing like two or three times since then. And I think I've just learned every time maybe that often we overestimate like, you know, a lot of us are like very risk averse. We overestimate the potential negative that might come from making a big transition. We underestimate the potential positive that might that might also come. And so I have found that each time maybe I have a high risk tolerance, but every time I've done that, it's felt like there's been something significant to lose. It's felt like an unwise decision to make when you're sort of pregnant with your first child and have no secure income. Um, but every time I've done that, it's, it's turned out, more beautiful and maybe more faith-building than I would have expected. Um, so I just think you know, it's maybe it's not it's not the advice you're going to get from a financial advisor or um, a business advisor or anything like that. But my advice is that if there's something in you that that really feels like you need to pay attention to it, you need to make a move. Um, don't ignore that. Like listen to it and and figure out what you need to do with it because it might be better than you're expecting.
0: I wonder if we can kind of um that you made that decision to kind of break or you know jump off the cliff or you know take that leap of faith um and and you've talked about some of the things that kind of ha- have come out as a result of that and particular kind of this kind of um spiritual misfits this this churchill kind of community that kind of you're part of um and and leaving kind of a mainstream community to something more on the margins what? What was the sense that you had about what didn't feel right or what you were kind of leaning or chasing after or seeking about church? What was it that kind of the kind of the thing that God was revealing to you that kind of you wanted to seek and run after and chase after and just jump into? Um, and what, what kind of the culture or the the rhythms and practices like where you were you chasing or kind of yearning for perhaps?
2: Mm. I had this experience where when I started working at, at that church, it was the church that we had sort of, um, after moving here, started going to that church. We made a group of very good friends, um, friends who were all in the same sort of stage of life, just starting to, uh, have kids, start families. And in many ways, for a couple of years, it felt like all of our lives were both growing and falling apart together <laughs> as we, as we went through another kind of huge, you know, earth moving transition of, um, yeah, that, that transition into being parents is huge. And we weren't, were not we sort of, a lot of us were doing that at the same time. Anyway, long story short, from when I started, uh, I was employed as like a young adults pastor and I was there for five years. And at the end of that sort of five years, I was looking around and realised that nobody in our original group of friends was still there and yet they were still the people I felt relationally connected with and many of them had sort of um, left church without necessarily leaving faith, Uh, certainly had an actively, I don't think many people actively leave faith I think we just end up in positions where we're confused and all the pieces don't fit together like they're supposed to and often the piece that feels the most difficult for people to reconcile is belonging in a community where I'm not sure I have all the right thoughts in my head or if I speak some of this out loud um, or, or the demands on it are really like it feels like it's consuming and it's taking up so much of my life and once you get a bit of space from that, it's hard to go back. So in many ways, there was just this feeling for me that I was, um, I was formally pastoring this larger community, but in my heart where I felt pastorally drawn was to my friends who had more questions than answers, um, still wanted some of it, but a whole bunch of stuff they didn't want. Um, and increasingly, um, it was also thinking about my friends who were, um, LGBTQI plus And, um, that, that was definitely a factor. And it's interesting because, um, when I started to talk, I was public, uh, with the church around this draw to the misfits. Right. But in that setting, I'd say there's a whole range of ways that people feel marginalized by the church. And I'd use more like a, more palatable examples for that room. You know, people who have Um, challenges, going to a large social setting because they struggle with social anxiety, like that's fine. You're allowed to struggle with that. But the whole time a very big group in my mind was uh, my queer friends who were Christian or wanted to be or whatever but couldn't belong in church but I couldn't really. Speaking that example out loud, um, there was a bunch of people in the church that would immediately like that would be problematic Um, which is kind of a separate thing, but it's just interesting that you can, you can say, I want to go to people on the margins and the fringes, but even that it's like, well, which ones there's a, there's a group of them that's okay. And there are people on the margins and fringes that are not okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, in terms of the other part of it, you know, the rhythms and things like that, I do think, uh, I, again, I think I don't want to make sweeping criticisms of, um, church as usual um because for some people that's life-giving and that's their community and it's great and so if that's you awesome but I felt certainly that uh even probably you know from um 10 years ago I was starting to ask questions about could church you know look more like um being primarily located in in the home or the neighborhood rather than um in the big church on the corner type thing and wanted church to be more integrated in into what life looks like for most people you know kind of we're connecting at the park or around around a meal table and and um so there was definitely an element as well of feeling like we could experiment with something that was more safe for people that felt excluded as well as more um shaped around something simple, organic, grassrootsy, very low production value. If you're coming for a show, you're gonna get very disappointed. So can um, can I ask two two <laughs> right. questions,
1: then we'll just following on from that. Um so you, you said really what was driving you was this desire to be able to do community and, and perhaps Christian community or church or gathering, whatever however we want to frame that, with those friends who were marginalized, particularly your queer friends. So I'm interested, did you did, did that end up coming to fruition are those friends feeling comfortable to come and do this community with you and secondly from that what does it actually look like Sun week to week sunday to sunday paint us a picture of what we might expect if we come along to what you do
2: yeah so um yeah we have a, a very beautiful community and there are a few um wonderful people in there who um some uh you know there's a there's a range of stories but um one person who has come out later in life and, um, this, this community was kind of there, like just at the right time after that experience. Um, and someone who, uh, you know, got kicked out of a church when, when they came out years ago. And this was a re-entry, um, into a, into a Christian community, um, that was accepting. Um, so, um, it, is, it has definitely been that. Um, and in a broader sense, um, the, the podcast that we create has certainly been, uh, it's amazing how many um, conversations with, I feel like my network of um, queer Christian friends, pastors, leaders has just opened up in the most beautiful ways, which has been a real blessing to me. Um, in terms of what to expect if you came and, and checked out our community um, we primarily gather in homes. We, we rotate around between a few different homes. So it's kind of, it's a bit tricky because, you know, a lot of churches, it's like, if you, if you want like church growth tips, it's all about consistency, you know, get a venue, be there at the same time every week and promote that. Well, in our community, <laughs> we're basically incredibly complicated. You've got to keep your eye on the WhatsApp group for which location we're at on what date, but, Um, when we gather we we are either in people's homes or um, sort of in uh, public spaces like parks we drink coffee we uh, let our kids play together we have great conversations we like each other and we're friends and you know that's a big part of it Um, but then in terms of like the kind of content side of things we do a very simple sort of liturgy we sometimes do uh, readings from the lectionary, or we will do um, readings from, you know, the poets, the mystics, people that inspire, maybe some readings from the common prayer book. We kind of just draw from rich streams of tradition and do more um, putting stuff out there and letting it sit than having to explain it or force it into a three-point <laughs> sermon or anything like that. Again, you know, if you're into sermons. That's great. I like a good <laughs> sermon here and there. Um, but our main form of teaching is through being together and through, um, I guess, trying to open up our lives in more organic ways. Um, so beyond the Sunday thing, I'd say we really genuinely are uh, not a Sunday-centric community at all. Um, we, we have kind of a quite active WhatsApp group Um, you know, what I love, like an example of the culture of our community that I love is that people will put in the WhatsApp group. I really don't know what I believe about prayer, but I'd really love it if you guys would pray for me about this. And I just feel like that's probably characterizes our community. I'm not sure what I think about this, but I'm still doing it. I'm still rocking up. I'm still doing my best to figure it out. Um, Would you guys help me with that? And uh, that's a really beautiful thing, I think. So yeah, hopefully, that gives you a little bit of a sense of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I was, I had a little look at your um, community's website. um, And I just like, I could, I was saying amen every time I was reading something, because I felt, I felt heard, I felt listened to. (laughs) Um, And I think you're right, there's so, um, there's perhaps a lot of us that are potentially in more mainstream, more kind of um, traditional settings and haven't kind of made that leap to the margins, but identify with what a lot of what you were talking about. And, um, And just some of the kind of things that I've kind of written down from that website is like, you know, there's room for you and your doubts. We're here for the exile, the skeptics, the curious, the confused, the hurting and hopeful, the wounded yet wonderful, the wandering sheep, the spiritual misfits. And I was like, yay, I'm a spiritual misfit. Like, sign me up. And, And I think... What I was sensing that this this space is it's a safe space it's a it's a flexible space regardless of your identity or your beliefs and the um there was also this thing about saying about the baggage that may have stopped us in the you know in the past this is kind of freeing people of that and yes you've mentioned sexuality it, I also get that sense of mental health but then that diverse approaches to scripture um as well was listed within that and and so yeah I mean have are there any kind of further anecdotes, even for yourself or the people within that community, of, of healing that's happened within this space?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. I feel I should say just one thing picking up off what you said. You know, when you talk about people on the margins, we tend to um, stereotype and imagine a certain kind of people, maybe people that are um, socioeconomically disadvantaged, for example, which is, can be a, a very obviously real way of living life in a marginalized space, but, um, in the church, there are plenty of people who, um, you know, on the surface, they look like what you're supposed to look like. Maybe they're even a pastor or a leader and yet they're wrestling with big doubts that are like kind of forbidden to speak out loud often in religious contexts. So interestingly in our kind of our network and and the work that we kind of do, uh, with our podcast and online, there are lots of people that identify as spiritual misfits that are significant leaders in denominations, churches, wonderful people. And I think that that's absolutely fine. I think that scripture is full of people that are continuing to put one foot in front of the other while crying out to God. Are you there? Do you even love us? Is any of this true? Um, that's pretty much what heaps of like the wisdom books in the in the scriptures are. Um, but in terms of what that's looked like for people in our community and, and kind of little, yeah, anecdotes of, of healing. Um, I think, I think she'd be okay with me saying this, but while I was on staff, um, church was really hard for my wife and being a pastor's wife. Like that's, that's a tougher gig than being a pastor for most people in in the world that I've met that sort of are in that space. And, um, she had a couple of years where she just couldn't come to church because it was so overwhelming. And it felt like the day that, added so much pressure to um, our our family's kind of sense of being and loads of stuff we go into about that. But our community has been incredibly healing for for her because um, there's no expectation, there's no pressure, and it's much smaller, and there's no weird pastor's wife, anything or other. I mean, most people don't even think of me as a pastor, to be honest. I don't even really use that word in that setting. Um, but we then have people who... Um, they would no longer feel comfortable necessarily identifying as Christian and yet it's still the story that has perhaps shaped their life more than any other maybe the story they grew up with and I think that can be a really difficult place for a lot of people when it's sort of like well I'm just not sure if I am this anymore but it's still undeniably a shaping force for me where where do you go with that um what kind of community can you be a part of often you don't really feel like you can belong in most churches unless you're enthusiastically, yes, this is where I'm at. Um, So we have a number of people who are, you know, at very different stages of whether or not they feel like um, Christian is a word they would use for themselves. And yet I would say that a number of those people within the context of our community, it has actually helped them to just kind of uh, leave a bit of the existential angst behind and get on with what I would say is living in a Christian way. Like as a community, we're trying to love our neighbours, we're trying to give give resources away, we're showing up for each other, we're helping each other through difficult times and, um, you know, whether you use the same language or not, I think we are participating in acts of love of God and love of neighbour. So, mm-hmm. yeah, could give lots of examples, but those are some that come to mind. And
0: I, I guess something that kind of often creates... A culture or a space that is difficult to question or difficult to have like those honest discussions or reconcile your identity with your faith is, is perhaps when churches put things down on paper <laughs> and, um, have kind of a set of beliefs that you're all meant to adhere to and sign up to kind of what's been, um, how, how has that worked out for you in, in your community and, and have there been challenges um, that you've faced? Um, and do, are, do you have a relationship with a bigger denomination? Can you un, unpack that and, and a bit of that story?
2: Yeah, um, so much that could be said there. Hey, So we, we have tried to be values-oriented rather than um, program-oriented, or I guess you could say that in some ways some churches are, like, oriented by their doctrine or their creeds. Um so for us the values are the things that are like the strongest at the center and those values like our primary kind of value is inclusion but particularly through the lens of those who are often if if we don't like make adjustments they will just naturally be excluded by the default settings um we have a value on hospitality um you know life around the table we have a value of justice believing that if Christianity is worth anything, it surely must lead to kind of love in public, um, which is how Dr. Cornel West defines justice. Um, We have a value on learning Jesus, which doesn't, um, I think that's pretty open-ended because you can learn Jesus um, at all different stages of faith, life, doubt. um, And then we have a value of community beyond us, kind of like we don't want to be a community that consumes your life. We want to help kind of create a life that's got space and you're integrated in the other things that you do. And we, we free you and bless you to go and, you know, be part of the theater or do whatever else you want with your volunteerism. Um, you don't have to kind of, we don't have to take all that. Um, so there's kind of that in a sense, you know, what we try to orient around and I know that for some people they would be going, well, what, what do you believe? (laughs) And what do you do? If you're not controlling what people believe, um, And uh, maybe that's a whole separate conversation, but I don't think things genuinely lead to uh, cultures of authenticity, honesty, um, mutual respect, exploration and curiosity. The more things we put down on paper that are our core statement of beliefs, the less room we have for, um, I think, doubt, vulnerability, curiosity. And I'd rather choose those with some of the risks that may come from that and still then continue to kind of ground ourselves in, well, what, let's ask questions. What does love look like? What, what does the life of Jesus, um, mean today? What, what does it mean to, you know, engage with this tradition in all its fullness, but with an open dialogue and conversation? Um, that's definitely not the approach of the denomination that I have been a part of throughout my life. Um, and in many ways, um, the The poem, yeah, as I kind of alluded to before, was partly, um, uh, if if I want to try and be prophetic in any sense, it was that was a moment where I was saying to my denomination, I want to be a voice, um, that's from within, uh, rather than just lobbing grenades from outside. I'm I'm I grew up in this. I was born into this. This is home for me, and I really don't like what it's becoming, and I want to speak to it. Sadly, I, I think that the last couple of years have only revealed more and more that um, it's probably not a constructive space for me to be in anymore. And I think that it's really difficult because I think every movement, every denomination, every organisation needs voices that are dissenting and voices that are from, you know, the edges I think that's so important. And I think, um, you know, I'm sure you do this too, Beth, but I know that Chris does this brilliantly within the Salvation Army and, and I affirm, you know, continue to do that. Um, in my context, I've sort of been feeling like at this point in time, my energy could go a lot further somewhere where I am not constantly viewed as an adversary. And, um, It's difficult because there's a part of me that wants to continue to speak back into that space that was kind of home for me and I don't want to leave because I'm being forced out. But within my own sense of where things are going, um, and I should say there's a larger context where the denomination is making active decisions that pastors and churches with queer affirming theology are going to be removed like that's that is the reality so there's actually there is a genuine uh, I kind of will have to leave at some point (laughs) Um, but uh, I think I'm feeling within myself anyway a, a, a draw to redefine the the lines where I sort of have defined my tribe and I would rather be more kind of trans denominational. I've got people in that space, and I've got people in the Salvos, and I've got people in Pentecostal spaces, and all kinds of spaces that um, I'm finding the the boxes are kind of breaking down. And in all of those denominations, there'd be people that think I'm a her- heretic, and that's fine too. But it just kind of, and, and it, it even goes further, right? Like, you know, I've one of the things that's been kind of challenging to my faith in recent years has been feeling like there are some people out there that call themselves Christians who I think I have far more in common with um, most uh, Muslims or Buddhists. Um, You know, the the extremists in any tradition, (laughs) you know, they've probably got more in common with the extremists in um, parallel traditions. So yeah, I think the denomination thing maybe at a broader level is um, we're in a time where some of those lines are breaking down and sadly over exclusionary positions that people want to cling to. But I'm also finding that there is an opening up of new networks. It's really
1: in- interesting, Will, when you,
2: when you say this, and
1: one of uh, your more profound posts, social media posts, was from your blog. Uh, was it earlier this year or late last year when your denomination first started to make some significant moves around this um uh, around people who pastors and and branches or churches who are having an inclusive theology or practice. What intrigues me about this, and it's the same in in my, my tradition in the Salvation Army. Um, but your church really is. Maybe I'm biased here, right? But it it should be celebrated. Uh, it, it you're doing everything that that uh, we would want a a church to do I mean you're what we might call a a church plant right so you've you've started from the ground up it's there's no structure there's no cost there's no building you've bought all of these people in from the margins you've built a church from nothing at a time when the church is hemorrhaging members across uh, our part of the world people are deserting the church in droves in fact in in Australia for those listening from other countries in Australia we have a, a census every what is it will every five years um, we have a census mm. and for the first time in the history of Australia in last year's census, Christianity is no longer the majority uh, view. Uh, in that context, you've got a growing faith community and there are people who had previously turned their back on the church and the are people who had previously been traumatised by the church and the people who have sworn that they would never come to a church again uh, or ever at all for the first time and you've you're gathering with these people it's it's there's depth there's questioning there's love there's service there's justice like it's ticking every box Mm. but all of that it seems and correct me if i'm wrong but all of that fades into insignificance in the eyes of the domination as long as you're not also ticking the box that says
2: you need to preach against same-sex marriage it's absolutely ludicrous, but hit the nail on the head, Chris. I mean we we have been um, kind of uh, until until being really public about being inclusive. We have been like the the poster example. Um, our denomination, the the total irony of everything that's going on is that they have a um, strategic vision around church planting, around starting, Um, heaps of new communities and um, so we are part of a small network of three churches the first church planted one church and then we were kind of planted by those two churches collaboratively now the three churches are really different we meet in very different spaces we have very different approaches very different kinds of people. We have, you know, there's always a lot in common if you look for it. I think we often have more in common than what we think. Um, so there's a shared heart there. But in many ways, our three churches, we are what I wish was true everywhere in that it's like we're for each other, we're collaborative, we know that we have some differences and disagreements, but, you know, at the end of the day where it matters, we're, we're on the same page. Um, so that was like this story, like there's like documentation in our denomination around this is what we want to see more of. Um, it's just that, like you said, every good thing is invalidated by the fact that we don't want to exclude (laughs) a vulnerable group of people. Um, what would Jesus say about this? I wonder, you know, it makes me want to say very angry words, um, and, and yeah. you have wondered and this recently. In fact, a, a Facebook post from just this week asked this very question
1: uh, around marriage, in fact. Mm. For those who maybe haven't seen the Facebook yeah. post, do you want to give us an insight into maybe a bit of a summary into, into where you were going with that and what led to that question?
2: Yeah, behind the scenes I was messaging another pastor who um, was talking about how we just can't disagree on the non-disputables. And I asked, what? How do you define the non disputables? And, you know, he sent back a couple of cherry picked Bible verses and um, basically then said, well, marriage, we can't question marriage because it's part of, it's tied to the gospel. And you hear this quite a bit from the defenders of traditional marriage. It's a gospel issue, it's a core issue, it's a central, you know, it's a non negotiable. We can disagree about whether or not women should wear head coverings. Or, I mean, no one's really disagreeing about that, but I'll, honestly it's it's in the same cultural context in my mind. We can disagree about, I don't know, I mean, depending on where you are, again, there's a different list of what you can disagree about. But I, I wrote this post basically saying I think um, this could be the major, if we're going to use the word heresy for anything, because people love, they love to hunt out a little <laughs> bit of heresy. Um, but if we're going to use that word for anything in our day and age, maybe it is tying marriage between a man and a woman. Um, I don't even want to say biblical marriage because biblical marriage includes a whole range of other situations, polygamy, uh, etc. cetera. Um, but this, this modern 1950s nuclear family ideal of marriage being tied to the gospel, the good news of Jesus who comes to reveal that God loves us all, um, I think that is an, a massive distortion. And my Facebook post was saying I'm generally not a fan of using the word heresy because most of the time the people using it are happy to do uh, what I would deem heretical things, burn someone at the stake or um, kick someone out. You know, that these seem like a distortion of the message of Jesus. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if in our day and age marriage has become such an obsession that it's actually, um, to me, to equate it with the gospel. Now, I'm like, I have a pretty expansive understanding of the gospel that not everyone would agree with, but you can define the gospel a hundred different ways without needing anything to do with marriage. I think that's just outrageous.
0: There's um, There's a kind of quote that has often kept coming up for me in these types of discussions about, you know, living with difference, about, um, faith communities. And it's this one that's on the essentials unity on the non-essentials freedom in everything love. Right. And that sounds great. That sounds liberating, I guess, until who decides what the essentials are. And yeah. so I think, I don't know. Do you, I mean, I can, I can sort of, there's a real skeptic within me and I can jump to kind of, you know, it's political, isn't it? Like who is making the decisions around the essentials? I mean, from your point of view, kind of an experience, um, and story kind of why, 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 what is the driving force behind making this such an essential, um, divisive, uh, traumatic, um, Thing for people, what you know, what, what nailing colours to the mask on this particular issue at the expense of all the damage, the trauma, the hurt, the mental health issues, etc. What, what, what do you, what do we, what's at the bottom of this? Why, why are people, why denominations doing it?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with power and control. And I think no matter how small your list of essentials is, um, whoever gets to control that list of essentials um, has has the power. And so to, to do away with that concept that we need to have uh, at least some bare minimum level of, and usually it's, it's an increasing list rather than a decreasing list, um, but to do away with that concept is to, um, you know, become open to the, the vulnerable possibilities of a real community. And yet the example that we have, the story that we have is of a God who um, relinquishes all power. Um, is you know the the word kenosis is what theologians use, is self-emptying love of God. Um, the God who would allow us to crucify, to crucify God's self. Like that is um, there's no power and control left when you are <laughs> when you are being nailed to a cross. Um, and I know people have different different views around that and, you know, whether or not it's an angry dad killing his son and some sort of divine child abuse plot. Um, I don't view it that way. I think that actually we have a genuine example of divine vulnerability, um, the risks of love, you know, the risks that love leads to. So I think that in, in any human community, um, we want power, we want control, um, even I want those things. I think we all do to an extent. We want empire. And that's like the battle at the heart of all of it is will we choose empire or will we choose the risky, open-ended possibilities of love? And that means I can't control people and some people might leave and some people might believe the wrong thing or, you know, some people might behave in a way that I feel uncomfortable with. Um, But Jesus, you know, there's a guy who I've been influenced by for a number of years called Hugh Halter. Um, and he used to say Jesus was the most uh, righteous person that ever lived and also the least judgmental, meaning he's the only person as the most righteous person who has the credibility to cast judgment. And yet when he's around people, he's he's the least judgmental. Um, he's the one who's invited to all of the parties you're not supposed to get invited to and, you know, he's um, he's got all of the, yeah, the inappropriate company washing his feet and you know whatever and um so I just think yeah the the desire for power and control makes sense I think we, we all have to own it whatever our politics wherever we sit on the left right you know spectrum we want it in different ways but I think that that's the to me that's like the invitation the challenge of of the Christian narrative is actually to give away your power and to find life in vulnerability
0: and I think, again, that's why I got so excited by just having that small insight to your faith community, because it is being intentionally vulnerable and humble. And I mean, we were I was trying to call you prophetic at the start of this conversation and you were going, ah, my understanding of that is not that I have the right answer. And again, that humility, that, in, that intentional posture to be vulnerable and to, th- you know, I might not be right or there might be a different point of view. And, and I think... I that's a theme that keeps coming back to me at the moment. And, and that excites me. And, I, and that feels like Jesus to me, you know, he was hanging out with the spiritual misfits. He was with people at the margins that were asking the questions that didn't quite fit in. So so thank you, Will, for kind of for, for showing us that in a in a new way.
1: Yeah, it is all yeah. about the spiritual misfits as you frame it. Well, in fact, that's the name of your podcast. And we would recommend anybody who's listening to this either on the Venture 12 platform today or the included platform, check out Spiritual Misfits. It's an absolute gold mine. And Will, I don't know how you do it. You're a podcast making machine. These things seem to be churning <laughs> out. Or, like, is it weekly? How do you even do? You must live and mm. breathe podcasts. But you, you've been doing Spiritual Misfits for a, a little while now. You've had so Absolutely incredible guests. Every week there's more in-depth and uh, moving and challenging, inspiring stories. What would you say as you look back on the podcast and, and maybe even just the broader spiritual misfits community, the 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 faith community you're a part of, what would be some of the key takeaways? You're in this privileged position, right, where you get to sit behind the mic and draw from and glean from and hear from all of these amazing people. So if we could then also benefit from that a little bit and get you to bottle up uh, a little bit, what would you say some of the key takeaways from some of your guests and chats?
2: Oh, it's been incredible. I love making it. It is it is a huge privilege. And uh, we started it over a year ago, and, yeah, it's weekly episodes, so there's, like, I don't know, maybe 70-ish um, conversations out there. Um, had some, uh, some really, you know, well-known high-level guests. Dr. David Gushy was um, formerly the president of the American Academy of Religion. He would be the most prominent, um, you know, kind of voice that was very, Widely respected in evangelicalism to come out as queer affirming and then go through, you know, all of the horrible uh, public treatment that comes with that in evangelical circles. But um, it was incredible to have David Gushy on the podcast. Um, we've had, it, you know, but then there are people that are maybe lesser known who are just brilliant. A couple of weeks ago, uh, there was an episode with someone named Becca D'Souza and becca shared this incredible image of learning to see god as a divine midwife who wants to birth something um in us and through us but the the midwife can't do the birthing the midwife is just there present um you know helping us to navigate um but it's a beautiful image as an image i've really held on to since that conversation um i think thinking across the large you know sweep of conversations one thing that i am Kind of struck by. I ask everybody at the beginning of almost every uh, conversation: Have you ever felt like a spiritual misfit? And tell me what that has been like. And this is a really diverse mix of people. Um, you know, people that ha- some that we might think are more obvious misfits, and others who we probably wouldn't think that about. We'd think, well, you just, you know, you, David Gushy, you're, you're an academic. You've you had a wonderful career, um, but what I'm struck by is that it seems like almost everybody has a story of feeling like a misfit at some point. And maybe that's part of being human. Maybe at some point, we all have moments where we feel like we don't belong within our group or our tribe, or, you know, we we have thoughts that we don't feel like we can say out loud in case we get bullied or um, questioned, or, you know, we have our own incredibly harsh inner critic to deal with. But I think everyone has some experience of feeling like a misfit. And yet, the kind of thing that goes with that is that when you embrace that, it seems like often when you own that, when you own your weirdness or when you own whatever might be the thing that people exclude you over, you come into that. Um, it's what makes people beautiful and it's what makes people unique. And it's where a lot of people seem to find life. And that seems to be all of these various guests talking about their stories of um, perhaps some very unjust treatment and yet finding that. Jesus is there in the trauma or in the recovery or in the uh, exclusion even, that Jesus is actually sitting outside with that person going, you know what, if they're excluding, I don't want to be in there um so that's kind of what I think would be a key takeaway awesome
1: speaking of, there was one episode in particular that uh actually looked at being a trauma-informed church and that was an episode that for me anyway really stuck out and it was there's I'm sharing most of your episodes um my, my friends must think that I've put them on some sort of spiritual misfits mailing list because I'm always forwarding them on <laughs>
0: but... you shared one with my husband Chris and he is now how to be a bad Christian, Dave Tomlinson, he is bringing that to every Bible study and opportunity to talk about that. How to be a bad Christian and even better human being. So I recommend that one.
1: Well, I'm, I'm so glad good. Alex enjoyed that. The one I have, I think, sent around the most was around um, being a, a trauma-informed church. Uh, there was so much challenge mm. in there. How did it feel for you as, as a pastor, as someone who, as we said, has been on quite a journey and is still leading a, a faith community now? How was it for you to sit through that conversation?
2: Uh, So, so good. So helpful. Uh, My friends, Joel Hollier and Steph Fenton, who joined me for that conversation, they're leading a church plant, which is, um, or a church, you know, it's probably not a plant anymore. Um, But they, they have got quite a similar community to ours in a lot of ways started around a similar time. Um, Joel is, um, is gay and Steph is trans and they are um, just both incredibly um i want to use so many words to describe them positively um incredibly inspiring incredibly christ-like incredibly sensitive nuanced individuals um and uh you know joel has a phd in social work and so is very um uh you know his passion is creating trauma-informed spaces um for people and steph similarly um is very much you know uh has a, an incredible gifting and calling in creating trauma informed spaces. Um, so, it, but what I loved about that conversation is that both of them were honest about the challenges of doing that, even in their context, even with their you know expertise. Um, they they were really honest about the tensions of trying to create a church where some of the things that have been trauma triggers for people who have had um, uh, negative experiences in religious settings you know, like singing worship songs, um, they're also the things that can be healing for people and that what's difficult about creating trauma-informed church is that we're operating in an environment where we're trying to recreate all that is good and beautiful in a space that has also been, for a lot of people, harmful. And so that is really complex because we can't we can't just throw it all out. We can't... Um, but we have to give people um, choice and autonomy and we have to invite people into co-designing a space together where people are able to access what they need um, in the ways that are helpful for them. And that we, you know, what another big thing, I suppose, is just the idea that we can't, there's no trauma free world. There's no trauma free community. Trauma is a part of the human experience. um, So being trauma-informed doesn't mean avoidance. It means how do we create a community that lives well with the reality of people's trauma? Um, so, yeah, just go <laughs> listen to the episode. It's- Absolutely <laughs> recommended to everybody.
0: Well, we're coming to the end of our conversation now, and something we like to do with guests, Will, is to kind of we want you to impart some kind of encouragement over us and some hope over us um so we do something called the fast five number one thinking of people who are gender or sexuality diverse where do you find hope in the Bible?
2: Uh, I find hope in the story in Acts where um, Peter is given a vision and God says what I have called um, clean. Don't let anyone call unclean. Just go read that story.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Number two, where do you see hope in the church? Uh,
2: Honestly, in um, queer people who are still uh, not just hanging on, um, but actually... um, bringing their full, diverse, beautiful selves. That has been, for me, uh, a new side of the multifaceted face of God that I have been blessed by. Number
0: three, what does being a good ally mean to
2: you? We did an episode about this recently and um, the major theme that came out was friendship, that being a good ally is about being a friend and you stand up for your friends, you treat your friends with respect, you don't try and walk their path for them um but you are alongside them
0: number four if you had one message for the church what would it be
2: to love the lord you god with all your heart mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself
0: there we go and finally number five if you had one message for those who are gender or sexuality diverse what would it be you belong so much, Will, for um, being with us. Um, and, Chris, I think you have something I, to share. I just
1: want to mention, Beth, for those uh, people who have connected with Will and The Message, you have just released a book, uh, which is incredible. Will, I do apologise. I haven't taken a photo of it and put it on social media yet, uh, although I uh, – the, the problem is most <laughs> of the times that I'm reading it, I'm trying to have a switch-off moment, so I don't want to be then grabbing for my phone and taking a photo. Um You you really can uh, go deep. It's called poems for when the world is ending and it's a collection, an incredible collection of your poetry, which uh, it seems was written over uh, a couple of years.
2: Yep. Uh, And where can we find this, Will? Um, If you're in Australia, you can go to willsmall.com.au and I will gladly sign and mail you a copy. Um, if you're anywhere else in the world or if you're in Australia and you don't care about my signature, then you can go to Amazon and uh, just look up "Palms when the world is ending by Will Small.
0: Excellent. Well, um, thanks for have, being with us. Um, I was about to say this morning, but it is very much the evening where you are because <laughs> I'm in the UK and you're in the other side of the world. But thank you so much, Will, for being with us. Um, I think we do want to give you the last word though. So do you have anything more you want to share with some spoken words you want to share with us?
2: You know, I was thinking leading up to this conversation um, around the journey that I went on around changing my mind and my theology because we didn't really get into it. And I suppose the poem sort of at the beginning did a bit, but I was quite homophobic when I was a young person and I was um, like I was an A plus church kid which meant i hated all the people you're supposed to hate (laughs) while saying that you love them and um was very yeah passionate about sharing that message but one thing that as i was thinking about how i changed my mind um because it's it's always a mix right you know there's there's the relational element i remember when i first met chris and i thought how could anybody how could anybody spend any time with this guy and not see the genuineness of his love for God and how does that not just like end the conversation um that was a moment but then you know you're like well what do I do about the bible and there were books that helped me with that and but i was actually thinking i think one of the moments i haven't thought about before is when i was at uni and um this is the most you know this is the closest me to the young evangelical me who was starting to rethink some things but um was still pretty pretty in that world and i had a friend who um, we weren't great friends but she she felt safe enough for some reason to say to me will I know you're Christian and um, I'm gay and uh, me and my partner um, we don't we don't really know if many people would accept us but we're, we're into we're into God or something like that you know what do you think about that and I remember at the time, even though my theology wasn't there yet, I remember just having the strongest sense, again, maybe this is a spirit-leading lead, thing, but I just remember having the strongest sense that the last thing this person needs from me is any judgment, and the most important thing is that they know that, um, that they are accepted and loved by God. And I was thinking about that because the thing is quite profound because it really didn't, like, that's how I responded even though that's, that didn't match what, what I knew at the time was the script. Um, but I just think, I guess what I'd say as a final thought is that it's always the human experiences that change us. And I don't know, the textbooks, the arguments, the doctrines, sometimes we need to like work that stuff out. But when you spend time with real people, And if if somebody is, you know, feels safe enough that you have the privilege of hearing an insight into their story, their pain, their doubts, their insecurities, and you listen to that, it will change you. And that's what has changed me consistently. So it was nice leading into this conversation to be reminded of that because that was a really transformative moment that I can only kind of recognize the significance of it now in hindsight. Thanks. Well, it's, been an absolute
1: pleasure. You're an, an amazing guy, uh, an inspiration, a yeah, privilege to call you friend, and we've had just the most joyous time chatting with you. So thanks so much. Thank you, guys.